Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Gary did mention this morning that uh, well, actually we're kind of up against three things today, football, the flu, and the forecast. It was actually forecast to be quite cold for us today. And so uh, you're the faithful here this morning, so thank you for coming and thank you for being healthy and uh, joining us for the service. Sometimes when we're studying God's Word, we'll every so often talk about, you know, a verb or the language and say, you know, this, this has a certain meaning. I know sometimes it can sound kind of technical to people and so on, but it is important in our language. And earlier Gary said that some of the people here were planning to tape the game today. Now, think about that for a minute. <laughs> if you were planning to tape the game today, uh, you might be out of luck <laughs> because the game is going right now. Okay? Uh, he could have said some of you are planning to tape the game. Um, that also could be a little bit of a problem because you're sitting here and you right now are planning to tape the game, but you're going to be out of luck. Um, he could have said uh, some of you taped the game. And that's sort of a completed action, right? And uh, you may have done that and finished it before the game started. Probably the best thing to have said, Gary, would have been, <laughs> since you're in your graduate program, um, the best thing to say is some of you are currently taping the game. <laughs> okay? Um, and uh, I am one of those people. Um, however... I'm not 100% sure which category I fit in because I have never used my uh, DVR recorder on timer before. I've, I've, I've had it for a year and a half, and I've just never really had anything that important I wanted to tape. And so um, today I set it up, but I don't know about the rest of you. I, I consider myself a fairly educated man, um, but when it comes to programming uh, DVD recorders, um, the first few times around, it never works for some reason. And so I, I'm hoping, maybe that's the best today. I am hoping I am taping the game today. <laughs> and we will find out afterward. This morning, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We began our study, our sermon series from Ephesians last week, and today I want to continue um, and uh, we're going to take a section of this and we're going to highlight, as I'm sure you can understand, in a passage this important. Um, again, we could, we could spend the whole sermon on any one sentence or phrase because there's just so much there. But we want to be able to finish the entire book. So we're going to, through the first chapter, we're going to take about three weeks here to finish chapter one. Uh, next Sunday, we will share communion together. And we'll continue in our look at Ephesians, but we will share uh, the Lord's uh, table next. I'm sorry, that is not true. It'll be the following Sunday, the 20, whatever the following Sunday is after that, we'll be having communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. And once again, Lord, we just do pause and, and give you thanks for the freedom we have to come uh, without harassment, without danger, without any threats, uh, that we are free to come and open your word, to teach it, proclaim it. And we never take this for granted, Father. And uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are not in that situation and pray your protection and hand a blessing upon them today. But as we do so, might we also treat it carefully? 
may it not be a matter of uh, anybody's uh, thoughts about you know, me or my word, but may it be your words that we hear today, Lord. And may um, we be able to just think about your word and meditate, apply it to our lives. And so bless your word today, Father. Might they be heard in Christ's name. Amen. Now this morning our passage I would like us to, we're going to look at, but I think it would be good if we just read this passage. And uh, I'd like to begin, we're actually, last week we, we uh, introduced the book of Ephesians and we uh, looked at Ephesians 1, 1, to, 1 through 3. And today, verse 4 uh, through 10. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You know, there's been quite an interest in, our, in my lifetime, especially the last 30 years or so, on, in genealogy. I'm not sure if any of you have, have done genealogy research and uh, used some of the records uh, available today and so forth. There's quite an interest in genealogy. It's interesting that at least my parents' generation, that wasn't really something they were particularly interested in. They were close enough to those who left, you know, the old country and came to America and they began new life or their parents did. And uh, they really wanted to leave that behind. And they came to America and were glad to be here. And so genealogy was not something really particularly, you know, that, that big a deal. But today, it's, there's a lot of interest in that. And a lot of people are doing genealogy. And this morning, uh, as we look at this passage, I want us to consider um, our genealogy in Christ. Who we are. Knowing who you are is, is very important. And knowing your family and, and, and where you came from, it's, it's not only interesting, but it's important. And here is a passage that really tells us who we are, what our ancestry or genealogy is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so first of all, I want to talk about there's some really important words here. And this is a passage of Scripture that could be very difficult. Um, well, it is, it is difficult in some ways in that... For the last 2,000 years of Christian church history, there has probably been more discussion, more writing, more printing today, more digital information on this particular topic than maybe, um, or as much on this as any topic in Christian thought, Christian teaching. And of course, that has to do with this age-old discussion on predestination, and election. Not only in the Christian world, but just in the general world in, in philosophy, there's been lots of discussion on do people have free will or is everything determined? There's that famous line from the movie uh, Lawrence of Arabia, one of my favorite movies, um, and uh, where they, they keep saying it is written. And at one point, 
You know, Lawrence, Peter O'Toole says, uh, nothing is written. You know, nothing is determined. Nothing is written. And um, this clash of, 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 of uh, philosophy that things are predetermined and things are not predetermined. And there are some key words in this passage. And I'm not going this morning in this one sermon completely entangle this, completely satisfy everybody's desire to know what this means. We will introduce, and, and that obviously in verse 4. For he chose, and it's a very clear word, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The next phrase, which is a combination in the NIV of verse 4 and 5, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Um, this, along with other passages in the New Testament, uh, do speak, and this actually is a topic that Paul speaks quite a bit about and quite clearly, this, the, the topic of chosenness, predestination, or we use the word election. And um, there is a there is the spectrum in, in not only in the Christian fellowship, but even in our own grace fellowship that we are part of as a church. And I, I happen to have known all four pastors that served in this church. I knew them personally. Pastor Lloyd Peterson, our founding pastor, he was my pastor. I was here and I worked with Pastor Hume. We went home to be with the Lord just uh, two weeks ago. And I served as an intern. I worked for nine years with Pastor Schutz. And I am the fourth pastor, and I happen to know that in that spectrum of those four pastors in our church, there have been uh, the parameters when it comes to election. And that is, have I been chosen by God apart from anything has to do with me that was completely determined and selected by God and a strong view of election to the other extreme that says, um, it is my choice. The gospel is presented to me. God knew if I would or wouldn't accept the gospel, but it is completely a free choice that I make or reject. And I happen to know in the history of our church and our pastors, because I knew them all, those parameters existed. So if you're here today and you have a particular view of election, um, I'm not, you know, we do have some difference of opinions on these things. And I think what I want us to think about are the things that we can all agree on on this topic that can be kind of difficult and, and, and important. But I do want you to, we have to acknowledge the fact Paul uses the word chose and he uses the word predestined here in this passage. And of course, the question then comes up to what is that referring to? Is the chosenness referring to that God has called and selected me before the foundation of the world to be saved? Or is the chosenness that he chose us as a group to this end of holiness and uh, living a life pleasing to him? Uh, those are sort of the parameters. I, I want us to talk about the things that we agree on. We agree in our, I think, I hope we all agree on the, the idea that God is all-knowing. We believe in our church, God knows the end from the beginning. My perspective of life is linear. You know, I'm, I'm somewhere, you know, if, if, if I live to be, um, if I live to be past life expectancy, 
Uh, let's say I live to be 80, which I don't, I don't know I'll live to be 80, but, you know, I'm, I'm 60 now. Okay? Uh, that means when they get together in, in, the, in, the, in the huddle, of the, what do they do? They hold up this. What's that mean? What's that mean uh, when, they, when your son holds that up? It means fourth quarter, right? I'm in the fourth quarter of my life, all right? <laughs> okay, I'm in the fourth quarter. My life is linear. And so that's how my life, God's view is the whole perspective. God is not bound by time. God uh, is not, has, has no control, not controlled by time. His view is end to beginning at once. We believe God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. So whatever we believe on election, we do know, we do believe, yes, God does know who all the elect are. God knows who all the saved are. It is, there's no surprise to God. God is not going to be surprised today if someone comes to Christ and receives him, receives Jesus Christ for salvation. We also see that this took place in verse 4, before the creation of the world. And this is another appalling thought that's very important. That God's plan, God's sovereignty, the God's chosen, um, His chosenness, His choosing, His 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 election, if you will, that these this is all before our world even began, before the creation of the world. And this is another clear, Pauline thought that we'll find throughout his epistles. And it's interesting that when he uses this word. Before the creation of the world, the, the Greek word that he uses is really the word to throw down. If I, if I took some here and threw it down, that's what the word comes from. And what it means is to throw down the foundation. That's why it was used that word. It was the word for foundation in the, in the Bible world. Before he threw down the foundation, in the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. Before he threw down that foundation, this was already done in God's mind in God's plan, and in God's will. Before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, verse 4, He chose us in Him. Before. The next word that's used here is this word in verse 5, He predestined us, and that is the word. You know, when it comes to Scripture, there are times we read things that, you know, we might say, if, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't have done it this way. Or I did. It doesn't matter. If we, if we believe, as we do in a high view of Scripture, we take it as our sole authority for faith and practice. Paul uses this word quite freely, and it's in the Bible, and it's clearly that God had predestined, predetermined. And it's interesting, this word comes, actually, this word actually is the same word we get our word horizon from. You think of the horizon, you know, we'd say if you ever do any astronomy or, you know, it says look over, you know, where the horizon is. If you look at a, a map of, that you use to look at the stars and so on, there'll be a distinct line of the horizon. And horizon is where these, where these two things come together. The idea that it's, it's a fixed line. It is fixed. It's the horizon. And that's the word that's used here for predetermined. And it's the idea of fixed or determined. He determined or fixed that we would be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. God's plan was fixed and determined in His mind. There are many things that when we approach God and our world and His way of doing things, that we do not understand. 
as simple as it is, when I was, when I was in um, maybe late high school, early college, this, we talked about this a lot. And there were some books written. I remember InterVarsity Press. I can't remember the exact name of the book. It was something to do with the sovereignty, and, and the sovereignty of God and free will election. But the author, it could have been John Stott, somebody like that. He used the illustration of train tracks, train rails. That the two train rails always run together. They are always parallel. They will never cross like this. It, it won't work. Train tracks can switch and so on, but they never cross. Both of them are necessary. Both of them are there. Both of them are required. They are both fixed, and they will never cross. And when it comes to our understanding, basically I would say it, I would put it this way. One rail is God's determination, God's sovereignty, God's chosenness, the predestination. The other rail is my responsibility. I am in no place, and neither are you, to ever say, well, I, I could, I, you know, if I sin, if I do this, or if someone comes to you and says, I reject Christ, but it doesn't matter because God's already determined it. Um, that is not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches is, yes, God has His plan. God is sovereign. And God has given me responsibility to make choices. I can't figure out those two. It is, behold, is what? It is God who is at, some of you, now, here's my problem now. When I'm talking about quoting Scripture, I'm going to quote it in King James because that's how I learned it. <laughs> Just like today's verse, I was telling Chuck beforehand, I can't quite get away from it if I make my bed in Sheol, you know. But uh, <laughs> for it is, it's, if you know this verse, say with me. For it is God who is at work in you both to do and to will of His good pleasure. And in that same context, Paul says, Live a life. Live a life. Make your choices. Do things that God would have you to do for His God who is at work both to will and to do. I can't... That's the sovereignty of God. I don't have to sort everything out. There's a wonderful passage in Deuteronomy 29 where Moses says to the children of Israel, The things revealed belong to us. The secret things belong to God. There are things that we will never understand and fully be able to describe with our finite molly. Those are things that belong to God. There are things that God has revealed to us clearly, and those belong to us. The story of the gospel, the story that Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, the story that we are to receive Christ as the, as the Philippian jailer came to Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? And what did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul didn't say, well, it depends if you're chosen or not. You know, um, Let's see. Let's, let's wait and see if you're elected or chosen. No. Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Make that choice and do it. Those are the revealed things that belong to us. The secret things that God already had that story, the Philippian jailer, he obviously was part of this plan to be, to be among the holy and the blameless, to be called by God. Those are the secret things that belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. So, that is all I'm going to say about that topic this morning. We could talk a lot more about this. The words chosen, predestined, called are clearly in the Scripture. They are there. God is sovereign. God knows the end from the beginning. And I want you to know this. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. 
Because nobody would be saved. The Bible makes it clear. Listen, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they sinned, who was hiding from who? Who went looking for whom? Where's, uh, hey, trainer, is it whom went looking for whom? <laughs> Come on, doctor, tell me. <laughs> what is it? For whom? Who went looking for whom? Thank you. Okay. Um, so, God went looking for Adam and Eve. They weren't looking for God. They were hiding from God. That's the story of humanity. If God did not go looking for them, there would have been no salvation. And that is the, that is the good news, friends. This is a good thing that God has called and God has chosen and God has called. If you're here today and you know Christ as Savior, it is a good thing that God is sovereign, knows the end from the beginning. And I look at my life and I think of all the twists and turns and the things that could have gone different and who I could have been. It's a good thing. What are we called to? I think we can all agree on this. What are we called to? Make, it looks just very clear. Verse 4. He chose us before, in Him before the foundation of the world. What? To be holy and blameless in His sight. That's the first thing. That, that those two things are the first thing. To be holy and blameless in His sight. This is what God has... I'm just going to use myself. This is what God has called me to. God has chosen me. God has called me. And He's called me to, also to be holy and blameless in His sight. Now, this is, a, this is one of those areas, again, where... Talk about those verbs, you know, are you planning, did you plan, were you planning, are you, in my case, hoping that you, that you planned it right to tape the game. Um, what does this mean? Am I currently holy and blameless in God's sight? Now, if you lived with me this last week, 24 hours a day, day in and day out, if you could enter into my heart and my thought life, and uh, my, sometimes my greed and my, um, uh, my thinking and the things, and if I could do the same with you, would you say I am completely holy and blameless? Who said that? <laughs> oh, thanks, Marcy. <laughs> all right. You can leave in a couple weeks, all right? <laughs> See, yeah. So you only took working in the office, what, seven months to come to that conclusion? Yeah. Was, yeah. No, she's exactly right. Yeah, she's exactly right. But he's right too. You're both right. <laughs> okay, You're both right. And the, the fact is, and, I, and so I guess what's the emphasis here? What is the emphasis here? No, I am not holy and blameless. I have not been holy and blameless every minute, every day since we met last Sunday. I have not been. And neither have you. That is not possible in this sinful world and in this sinful flesh to be holy and blameless. Now, as we walk with the Lord, from the time I was saved and through my years and experience, I would hope that my walk and my daily experience is growing and changing and developing so that I, I am living a life pleasing to God. And I trust the same for you. But, the most important thing, and it's important to get the order right. That's what I'll find out when I go home today, if I did things in the right order to, to be able to watch the game. 
If I did something out of order, it's not going to work. Get the order right. The order is simply this. The, the moment I looked to the cross of Calvary and for the first time understood, and I think we can all agree on this, wherever your view on election is, I hope you can agree with this. The Holy Spirit has to open your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are not looking for salvation, looking for Christ. When you became a Christian, whatever age you were, whether you were young like me, whether it was as an adult, maybe this past year, whenever it was, the Holy Spirit worked in your heart, opened your heart to the gospel so you could understand it because you would not understand it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That is one of the key ministries of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's in our church doctrinal statement. When I look to the cross of Jesus Christ, and in my case as a young boy, and the Holy Spirit opened my heart, and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, at that instant, in God's sight, He saw me as holy. That means sanctified. That's why we call each other saints. Set apart for Him. And he saw me pure or blameless. These are Old Testament concepts from the sacrificial system. He saw, and this is a very, very important thought in Paul's writings, and especially in the book of Ephesians, that he saw me in Christ. Amen? When G, we looked at Romans 6 last week on Sunday night. I was, when I was, I was baptized, I was placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. It says I was with him on his death, his burial and his resurrection. I was just reading in, in, in reading in the in the New Testament. I don't even know where I read it. Now it was in this passage or another passage I was reading where he it says that he abolished he abolished death and brought life and immortality to the to, to the revelation to our focus. And think about that. He abolished death. This last week when I was called to Joe Erickson's family called me and asked me to come over. I'd been with him a couple times over the last few weeks and really enjoyed. Uh, Joe sat right back over there, kind of where Jerry and Sandy are right now. He sat over there every week and kind of a quiet man. And it uh, wasn't until you, you know, I went over to his house and really sat down and we talked, got to know him. What a man of faith and what a wonderful testimony. And on Thursday, they called and said, Joe just went home to be with the Lord. And, and you know what? Uh, he was anxious to go. You know, I, I tell you, the last thing he said to me the week, the last time I saw him, he says, don't take this wrong, but I don't want to see you again. <laughs> you know, he says, you know what I mean. What he meant was he wanted to go home and be the Lord. Said, I hope I don't see you again. I hope I die. I hope I go home and be the Lord. And the, and the amazing thing is what Paul says that Christ abolished death. As we talked about last Sunday night from Romans, that means as a believer, you are never going to die. You are physically going to die, but in a, you are never going to, there's never going to be a split second that you are out of God's care and out of His presence and not part of His family. You have spiritual life now, and it will always continue. And that's why we're not afraid. That's why Joel was not afraid to die. He was anxious. He was ready. It was his time, and he knew it. He was ready. He was not afraid. Because Christ has abolished death. We are alive. Amen? Come on, amen? We are alive through Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. So when Paul says that we might be holy and blameless, listen friends, that's who we are today. 
Whether you feel holy, whether you feel blameless, whether you've had a rough week, whether you made some bad choices this week, whether you're struggling with a temptation or a sin and you're praying to God and working through it, the fact of the matter is you are holy and without blame before God. Why? Because you are in Christ. And Christ is holy and without blame. He paid for your sins. Now, the second part of that, if we put it in the right order then, is yes, the result should be my lifestyle should be one of holiness and blamelessness. I should be growing in that. It should reflect who I am. When I look in the mirror, I see an image of myself. I don't see you or you or you. I see me. And what should be reflected in my life is who I truly am. Because we are in a sinful world and we are still in the sinful flesh, the reality is we are still growing in that in our outward experience, in our inward, in our experience here on earth. But that does not change the fact I am holy and blameless. Now listen. Yes, that is a dangerous doctrine. We talked about that Sunday night too. Yes, it is. It is a dangerous doctrine to say that my lifestyle is not going to change my standing before God. But you know what? I am part of a family. I'm part of a family. I was born into a family. My choices and my lifestyle have never changed and never will change that I am a Shemaria. Because that's my family. I have four children. How they live, the choices they make, and, I, and I'm proud of my children, and I'm so thankful, especially as a pastor's family, that my kids are walking with the Lord and like you, like you and your kids here, um, it'll never change. They're, they're my family. They started their own family. Their kids will always be their family. It will never change. And I want you to notice this, the second thing here that we'll kind of begin to close with the message today. But I want you to look at this. We have been called. We have been, we have been already established, if you will, as holy and blameless. We've been thrown down the foundation. We're holy and blameless. And notice the second thing. In love, verse 5 begins, He predestined us to what? To be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. And verse 6 is written on a plaque. It's, you leave today, if you look to your right, as you go out the doors, you will see it on the wall over there. It's the plaque. Ephesians 1.6, that is, that in a sense, our church was founded on this principle. And that's right, it's written on that wooden plaque, nailed to that wall, and it's been there since 1966 when the building was dedicated. It's Ephesians 1.6. This is what we are about as a church. To the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glory. Look at it as you go. Out there, you'll see it today. But look what it says. So we've been holy and blameless. And the second thing is, we have been adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. Now, in every culture, there are different ways of adopting. There are different ways of adopting, but there is always that principle of every culture of adoption. There's been some discussion. Is, this, is Paul referring to the Hebrew tradition of adoption? Is he speaking of the, of the Greek or the Roman? And I agree with one of the commentaries, the Honer in his commentary, that Paul is referring to the Roman way of adoption. That's the culture he's in. That's the empire they live in. He was a Roman citizen. Let me read this to you. It's a little bit, but this, I want you, can you just listen to this? Under Roman law, the procedure of adoption had two steps. 
In the first step, the son had to be released from the control of his natural father. This was done by a procedure whereby the father sold him as a slave three times to the adopter, the person doing the adopting. The adopter would release him two times and he would automatically come under again his father's control. With the third sale, the adoptee, the one being adopted, was freed from his natural father. And regarding that second step, since the natural father no longer had any authority over him, the adopter became the new father with absolute control over him, and he retained this control until the adoptee died or the adopter freed him. Under Roman law, the father had absolute authority over his family, over his children. Absolute authority. And what Paul is saying is we have, and I like that, the idea that this, this process when the, there was kind of a, more of a formality, but he was sold, bought and sold three times, and the third time that the price was paid, he was no longer, the, 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 the natural father had no rights over that son at all. And listen, we have been, as, as Paul goes on to say here in verse 7, in him, we have redemption through his beloved, his blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I was part of Satan's domain. He was my father, if you will. I know this is strong language, but it's biblical language. Paul talks about this. That you were un- before you were saved, before you came to Christ, you were under the domain of Satan. He was your father. Jesus talked to those, the sin, those says he's like your, your father, the devil. I have been ransomed. I have been released. This is a very important word that Paul uses here. It's one of Paul's words he uses too, really uniquely. This release. I have been released by ransom. Just like if someone is held ransom. And, and a price is set and the price is paid. Now that's a whole other thought you know, about that. But it's the big picture that we have been released from Satan's reign by the price of Christ's blood, his own blood, as it says here. We have received forgiveness for sins and we have received release. We have been adopted to a new father. I am in a new family. And the choices I make and the things... Listen, He adopted me. I didn't adopt Him. Right? God adopted you. You didn't adopt God. He has complete control. He is the Heavenly Father. He is your new Father. You are now in His family through the blood of Jesus Christ and you have been forgiven. Now, our experience in this world, the reason we still struggle with sin... And I say that we, because we all can identify with that. Is because the old father still wants us back. He still wants us back. And until the resurrection, until we are freed from this sinful world, and before, until we are freed from the limits of this current sinful flesh, my body is going to be changed to a new body, so is yours. I'm going to be me, you are going to be you, but it's going to be different. It's going to be different. Because we are no longer going to be tainted with any effects of sin. The old father will have no perspective, no environment, no ability at all to try to call us back. 
But no matter how much he calls, and again, some of you maybe even this past week have been struggling with that call, and maybe you've been finding yourself kind of, you know, wanting to go back to the, you belong to a new father. And he knows how to take care of what belongs to him. He adopted you. You didn't adopt him. And so we conclude with this. This is friends, verse 6, is to the praise of his glorious grace he has freely given us in the one he loves. Or we could say, in love we have been redeemed through his blood with the forgiveness of sins. Verse 8, he lavished upon us. My friends, the good news today, it's, and it's good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you. God has called us. God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. God has made us holy and blameless in His sight. God has made us His child. No matter how you feel today, if you know Christ as Savior, you are in a new family. It is His responsibility. He has complete control, complete ownership of you, if you will, to the praise of His glory. Now, let me just close with this. I want you to notice this as, we, as you read through Ephesians. And again, we're, we're just scratching the surface of this passage here. You can study it and read it some more on your own. But I want you to notice the Trinity. The Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this passage. Verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. That's obviously talking about the Father because that is what goes before in, in the verses before. In verse 12, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the what? The praise of His glory. There is Jesus Christ. The Father, the Son. And look at verse 14. We'll look at this next week. Who is a deposit? That is the Holy Spirit. At the end of verse 13, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. What does it say? Huh? What does it say? Read it. Praise of His glory. Three times the praise of His glory, three times associated with the different, even though it's to God's glory, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad today that you have a new family and a new Father, and that you are part of God's forever family because of Jesus Christ and what He's done for you? Isn't this good news? It's good news, my friends, and we have every reason to leave this place refreshed, hopeful, and anxious to live life this week for our Savior, our God, in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because we have been called and chosen by Him. Friends, that is good news. Let's close our service, our final hymn. If you come back tonight for Bible study at 6 o'clock, I'll tell you if I was successful in uh, taping the game. <laughs> this morning, uh, my wife said, oh, you should have, did you read our daily bread today? She reads it every day, daily. And I said, no, I haven't read that. And she said, this is really good. And, she, and I wanted to share this with you in closing this morning. This is from, uh, you know, Dr. DeHaan's ministry from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our daily bread. Listen to this. Uh, this, is the, this author is Bill Crowder. I love watching soccer. I'm a fan of the Liverpool, Liverpool Football Club in England's Premier League. When the Reds are playing, it's an anxiety-filled experience for me. Because one goal, some of you Sounders fans, right? Okay, you know, one goal, one misplay, 
can change the game's outcome, especially in soccer, one goal. Because how many games you've been to was one to zero or zero to zero? One goal. I feel constant tension as I watch. That is what makes the games, partly what makes the games enjoyable. Right? Right now, as you're standing here, some people are watching that game and they are living and dying by every play. Maybe some of you are right now with your cell phones and stuff. That's okay. I'm not offended. It's all right. And I watch the game. My wife is having me. What do you get? You know, well, who cares? You know, I mean, I, I know, you know. But you know what the biggest sports news actually is? The University of Washington, for the first time since 1912, has started three and old, three away games. That's the big news. Okay. But anyway, listen to this. And I can really relate to this. What he says here. Because when I'm watching the game, as you, I know, Balaam, you watch the Seahawks, you know, you get into it, Right? Have you had this experience? But he says this. Recently, he says, though, I saw a tape-delayed replay of one of Liverpool's games. I was surprised how much calmer I felt seeing the replay. Can you relate? Why? Because I already knew the outcome. And as a result, I was able to relax and enjoy the action. <laughs> and that's exactly true. true. When I know the outcome and I watch it, if I know they get swamped, I don't even bother watching it. What difference does it make, you know? If it's a close game and, they, and my team wins, it's great to watch the replay because I don't have to worry about every play because I know how it's going to end. It's fun. It's great. It's not, tense. it's not tense at all. Life is often like observing live sports events. There are shocks, surprises, frustrations, fears, because we are unsure of the outcome. Followers of Christ can draw comfort, however, from the fact that though many of life's situations are uncertain, our eternal outcome is settled by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I know what I have found. You know what? Right now, every one of you have things that you're uncertain about for the future. Some are very serious. Some are merely troubling. But you know what? The, what's really helpful to me? God already knows. God already knows my life from start to finish on earth here. He already knows. It's already done in His mind. I am His. He is my Father. And I can rest in that. God already knows. There's no tension. There's no fear. And He writes this, Peace rules the day when Christ rules the heart. Heavenly Father, we are thankful today. In our experience from day to day, in our uh, situation under time, we do not know what tomorrow brings. We didn't know last Sunday what this Sunday would happen this week. We don't know what's going to take place next week. And some here are facing big changes, big decisions, uncertainties in their lives. And Lord, uh, we just pause today and just rest and are thankful. You already know. It's already finished. You're our Father. You know what's best. And all things will work together for good, for your good. Because your good is our good. And if there be a person here today who's the Holy Spirit, Lord, is, is calling them, is opening their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray they would say yes. They don't have to understand it all except to know that they are a sinner. Christ died to pay for their sins. You love them so much and are calling them today to receive Christ the Savior. And may they make that decision.
and say yes to God. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you.